Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, August 31st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The EU is worried about its raw materials, and Japan gets ready for a new prime minister. Plus, the people looking at Wirecard's numbers didn't catch the fraud. So we'll ask, what's the point of auditors, and can they change? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The European Commission has a warning for EU member states. Too many raw materials are coming from outside the bloc. The Commission plans to issue a formal warning this week. There are concerns over China's dominance in industrial metals. As much as 93% of the EU's magnesium comes from China, according to the Commission. And magnesium is in things like laptops and car seats. The Commission also warns that these shortages will make it tough for the bloc to be climate neutral. The EU is hoping to do this by 2050. In response to all this, the EU is planning to launch a raw materials alliance. It'll be based on existing plans to promote the development of battery and hydrogen fuel technologies. Brussels also plans to promote recycling vital elements. Shinzo Abe said last week that he was stepping down after eight years as Japan's prime minister. Mr. Abe is leaving his post due to ulcerative colitis. But his Liberal Democratic Party needs to find a successor first. Robin Harding explains what this process will look like and what Mr. Abe's legacy might be. Japan has a parliamentary system, so the process of choosing Prime Minister Abe's successor is a leadership contest in his Liberal Democratic Party. And whoever becomes the leader of the LDP will, by default, become the Prime Minister of Japan, since the LDP is the biggest party in both the upper and the lower house of parliament. Now, the LDP has a set process for choosing a leader. It's meant to go through a quite extensive election in which all the members of the party get to vote. But it seems very likely that they're instead going to use an abbreviated process where only members of parliament for the LDP and some senior party officials get a vote. The result of that is it basically lets Prime Minister Abe and his allies have much greater control of the process. So anyway, we expect this abbreviated process that's likely to only take a couple of weeks. So within two weeks or so, I think we will be saying goodbye to Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and we will be welcoming in one of a number of possible candidates as the new LDP leader and Prime Minister of Japan. So Robin, Mr. Abe was elected back in 2012. How do you think he'll be remembered? There are two different ways to look at Shinzo Abe's legacy. The first is really to look at whether he did the things he said he wanted to do. And the answer to that is basically no. He said he was going to revive Japan's economy and get inflation to 2%. It's about zero today. He said he wanted to sign a peace treaty with Russia and settle a territorial dispute over the Northern Territories or the Kuril Islands. He failed to do that. He said he wanted to revise Japan's constitution. That didn't happen. So in terms of these big concrete results, Abe's legacy is quite limited. But in a different way, I think his legacy is very considerable. He leaves a legacy of stability. He showed that Japan can operate under a single prime minister for eight years. And that came after a period when there were six different prime ministers in the space of six years. He's strengthened the powers of the prime minister's office. He may not have got inflation to 2%, 
But it was a period of strong economic performance for Japan, where basically anybody who wanted a job could get a job. So if the purpose of government and your legacy is to deliver a period when basically things were going well, there weren't crises, the country was well managed, then I think Shinzo Abe leaves quite a big legacy behind him. Robin Harding is our Tokyo bureau chief. The German payments company Wirecard turned out to be an elaborate fraud, even after being audited by EY for a decade. Now, another big four firm says the profession needs to do better. PwC's global chairman promises to aggressively review how the accounting firm can better find frauds. Which got us thinking, what is the point of auditors if they don't catch the Enrons and the Wirecards of the world? The FT's Tabby Kinder, our tax and accountancy correspondent, is with me now. She's been following this. Hey, Tabby. Hi, Mark. What exactly is the point of auditors? Shouldn't they be catching this kind of thing? Yeah, so an, an auditor's job is to report to shareholders of a company on the truth and the fairness of, of the financial statements that have been prepared by that company's directors. So the adage that a lot of auditors use to describe their work is they are watchdogs who bark when they see a problem and not bloodhounds who would actively hunt for something suspicious. That's an interesting comparison. Why is it so hard for auditors to catch frauds? Why aren't they more bloodhounds than watchdogs? So let's make it clear that it is hard for anyone to catch a fraud, right? So even in the case of Wirecard, which the FT exposed over several years, there were still institutional investors and even regulators who couldn't join the dots. However, it's fair to say that if anyone should be able to find a fraud, it should be the auditor as they have access to all of the raw financial information. But auditors rarely find frauds for a number of reasons. So audits are inherently limited. Auditors look for material misstatements, which means that their checks tend to only capture transactions that are at or above a level that is material, which is a, you know often a large proportion. Also, there is a lack of volatility in, in auditor testing how they do their work. So they use sampling. They can re- repeat the same processes over and over again, which can make an audit predictable, which makes it easier for a fraudster. Or another reason could be that some fraudsters are too clever for inexperienced auditors. And, and we see time and again that it's junior members of an audit team who do a lot of the, the legwork. So, Tabby, you know, we saw this with Enron famously in countless other cases. we talked about Wirecard. And it seems part of the problem might be that auditors just take the numbers companies provide them with. Is that the case? So there's no doubt that there is a fundamental issue with the the level of professional skepticism that auditors are applying to the numbers that management give them. I think the issue comes down to the scope of what an audit is, as well as the training for auditors. So auditors are there to find material misstatements, whether by fraud or error. So an auditor can be skilled at assessing the risk of fraud, but they might not know how to identify the indicators that a fraud is happening, like a forensic accountant might, or like someone who is specifically brought in, you know, when something goes wrong to to find out what's happened. But part of the reason the outrage about auditors and fraud has become such a hot issue now and, and recently is that a lot of the big frauds that we've seen have been relatively unsophisticated and have involved cash and things that are typically easy to spot errors in or issues with. So they should not have been so hard to uncover. 
Do you think that the auditing industry will change? Will Wirecard prove to be its reckoning, or will it kind of go along the way that it's been going? Call me a cynic, but I don't think that things will change. So a colleague who was writing about accounting and, and was doing my my job about 20 years ago sent me one of his articles the other day, and it could honestly have been written today. So little has changed since then. But I think we're moving in the right direction to improve the quality of auditing. In the UK, we're waiting at the moment for clarity from the government on the plans for a new audit regulator, which will be much more powerful and also have the power to punish company directors, so not just their auditors, for failings in financial statements. But I think we need to see more changes to the foundation of of how the audit profession operates rather than just letting the firms promise to improve. The FT's Tabby Kinder is our tax and accountancy correspondent. Thanks, Tabby. Thanks so much. Before we go, the head of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is okay fast-tracking a coronavirus vaccine. Stephen Hahn told the FT he's willing to bypass the normal approval process to authorize a vaccine. He said he's not doing this to help President Donald Trump's re-election chances. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.